Welcome back to the Series 7 Study Guide, the Series 7 Podcast. The Series 7 Study Guide is a full series of audio lessons consisting of 74 lessons which cover over 32 hours of audio instruction. And that full audio course is available at series7podcast.com. In this podcast, we are going to be covering portions of the lessons contained in the Series 7 Top-Off Study Guide, audio lessons for the new Series 7 exam. We hope you find these lessons valuable. And if you do, go to series7podcast.com and purchase the full bundle of audio lessons. These audio lessons are not intended to be a substitute for your book learning or attending classes. Audio lessons are a supplement. Some people learn audibly. Some people learn by reading. Some people learn by attending classes. We recommend that you use all forms of learning available to you. And audio is just one of those. Let me read you some of the reviews we've had for the Series 7 Top-Off Study Guide. Haley wrote, Thank you for your glorious podcast. Hi, Franz. I'm studying for the Series 7 while working a full-time, 12-hour-a-day job, have a toddler at home, and another kiddo on the way. As a supplemental tool, as I drive between my meetings in Los Angeles, it's brilliant. I especially love the editorial commentary as it puts everything into perspective. I haven't tried the videos or done any of the quizzes yet, but I'm a big fan so far and just getting started. My test is January 27th. Wish me luck. Any tips or additional feedback you have would be much appreciated. Your biggest fan, Haley. And then Tim wrote, Thank you so much for the podcast. I started out with the free ones and then ordered the package. This week I passed. I studied and read for a few months in between work and listened to your podcast in my commute to work and any time in the car. Two days leading up to the test, I basically stopped working to study full-time. And the day before, got to a hotel room near the testing center and did practice tests all day and night. You state multiple times that your podcasts are not going to get you to pass alone, but I am certain that they blessed me with that extra bit of understanding and reinforcement that helped me pass. And one more, and this will be the last one I read. There's just too many of them. This is from Kevin. Kevin wrote, Hi, Franz. I wanted to say thank you for putting out your podcast. I purchased the Series 7 about a year ago and the 63 four or five months ago. I felt very comfortable going into the Series 7, which your podcast laid a very good foundation for me. The podcast alone would not allow me to pass the exam, as you clearly point out several times in your podcast. But they got me about 70% there and gave me the foundation I needed to pass my exams the first time. As for the Series 63, there's no doubt in my mind that I would have failed without your podcast. I listened to the podcast on my way down to the exams about three hours, and thank goodness I did. I could hear your voice in my head as the questions popped up, which helped me pass the 63 on the first time as well. I am grateful that you took the time to put the podcast out at a very reasonable rate. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Sincerely, Kevin. All right, let's get on to today's lesson. Welcome to the Series 7 Top-Off Exam Audio Lessons. This is going to be lesson number 17. This is going to be the first lesson dealing with Section 3 
which is going to cover the bulk of this series of audio lessons. Section 3 is providing customers with information about investments, making suitable recommendation, transfer assets, and maintaining appropriate records. Of the total exam, this comprises 73% of the total exam, or 91 individual questions. We are going to go over most of the investments that you might be talking to your customer about, and this is going to be a repeat of a lot of the information you received when you were studying for the Securities Industries Essentials Examination. The difference is, after each product we talk about, we are going to talk about suitability of that particular product for your customer. Now, before we get into this, I've been talking over and over and over again about knowing your customer. Well, it's become much more important that you know your customer. You need to know your customer's balance sheet. In other words, how stressed is your customer? You need to know as much about your customer as you can find out in order to make suitable recommendations. You need to know what investment experience your customer has, especially if your client wants to start talking about trading options. Does he have the sophistication level (laughs) or knowledge to be able to trade options? Or is he just a gambler? And if he's a gambler, then you need to establish right off the top that he can afford to take the risks that he wants to take on. So you need to know a little bit about your customer. Let's talk about the first thing you probably ought to know is the balance sheet of the customer you're talking to. All right. What sort of assets does he have? How much money does he have? What he's divulging to you may only be a portion of his assets, or it may be all of his assets. You need to find that out. You need to question your customer about the assets that he has, which will enable you to make suitability recommendations based on his financial statement. Is he heavily mortgaged? Does he live in a big house? What is his income? Is he able to pay his mortgage? What other assets does he have? Does he come from a rich family? Did he inherit some money? (laughs) What did his parents do to establish that trust fund for him if he's a trust fund baby? How much is liquid of his entire net worth? A lot of people have a lot of assets, but it might be tied up in illiquid investments such as real estate or limited partnerships, where even though it looks great on paper, The reality is there might be very, very few liquid assets available for that person to access. So what are the tangible assets that he has? And you really need to not really count his home for these assets because he has to have a place to live, right? But the type of house he has and the type of income he has to support the mortgage on that house is something you need to take into consideration. What about his income statement? Is his sole income from earnings? And if so, what are his earnings? And what is the likelihood that those earnings are repeatable? Is it a salary that he works for a company? You need to consider how secure his job might be. I mean, these are just general questions that you need to start asking your client about and probing him about. Sometimes clients will not want to share this information with you. But again, if you don't have enough information to make suitable recommendations, then you can't make recommendations. Other income sources might be rental income. It might be dividend income. It might be private equity income. It might be a family business that provides his income. He might have a lot of 
limited partnerships where he's a limited partner, which he gets K-1 income from every year. Where does his income come from? What about his wife? Is she working? That is, if he's married, you know, if he's a single person, then you don't, you don't consider the wife. But if he is married, what are his obligations? Does his wife work or is she a stay-at-home mother? What sort of household expenses can he expect? What about the children? Are they going to private school or public school? And what sort of expenses is he going to be dealing with with his children? Just general questions. In other words, know your customer. What are his monthly expenses? And how does that compare to his monthly after-tax income? If he's barely getting by, he really should not be speculating. (laughs) All right, so you need to know his age, marital status, employment, the number and ages of dependents, the employment of the family members. What's his education? And what about future education? Is he going to go on or is his wife going to go on for another degree? What about family health and medical expenses? Are there any special needs children or any special needs for him and his wife if he's married or him individually if he's not? All right, risk tolerance. All right, this is one that comes up quite a bit. And my experience (laughs) in, in a lot of years is people are willing to take on risk until they lose money. And suddenly they don't have that risk tolerance anymore. So talk to him about how much is he willing to lose before he gets nervous? Not how much he's willing to make before he's happy. Risk means it's a double-edged sword. Everybody likes risk when risk implies to them that making more money, but very few think of taking on risk as losing more money. People that take a lot of risk are usually saying, hey, I want to make a lot of money fast. They're not saying I want to lose a lot of money fast, but it's a double-edged sword. Talk to them about risk. Talk to them about their ability to be long-term. A lot of people think long-term is a month nowadays. In my opinion, long-term is 10 years. Talk to them if they're willing to invest through a market cycle. And a market cycle, as we've proven from 2008 onward, can be longer than 10 years. What's his emotional state? Can he take a 40% down down cycle in his portfolio without becoming extremely depressed. We saw that in 2008 where people lost 40% of the value of their portfolios. I lived through that. Let me tell you, not many people were willing to be long-term when their portfolio has gone down 40%, but that was exactly the time they should have been investing additional funds. Very few people are willing to buy stocks when stocks are on sale. It just seems to be contrary to our human nature. This podcast on the Series 7 Top-Off Study Guide, audio lessons for the new Series 7 exam, is brought to you by insuranceexampodcast.com. In addition to passing the Series 7 exam and the SIE exam, most likely you are going to be required to pass additional examinations in order to present your client with the investment choices most suitable for him. These additional examinations will include the Series 63 exam, and the Life Health Insurance exam. The insurance examination is an examination administered by the state in which you plan on selling insurance products. Insurance products can include variable annuities, 
fixed annuities, whole life insurance, and other insurance products. While each state has a slightly different insurance exam, there is uniformity to these exams, and the life health insurance exam can be studied in your spare time by listening to audio lessons. At insuranceexampodcast.com, they have a series of audio lessons, which is 12 hours in length, and consists of 26 audio lessons and five review lessons. Go to insuranceexampodcast.com and sign up to get five free lessons to start preparing for your insurance exam. So ask questions. What about his tax situation? Does he have any tax liens? Is he up to date on his taxes? Ask him what he considers a good return. Some people have unreasonable expectations of what you can do. A lot of people think that because you work in this industry that you have access to information that they don't. Well, the reality is you do not have any more access to information than they do. They just choose not to look for that information. We don't have any non-public information that we can act on for our clients and vice versa. They shouldn't be acting on any non-public information and you should not be acting on it for them. You don't want to lose your license by dealing on insider information. All right. A lot of people invest in the stock market to be able to talk at cocktail parties about the exciting things they've been investing in. And uh, right now, in 2019, some of the subjects people like to talk about in cocktail parties are cannabis stocks and, and, and uh, cryptocurrencies. Uh, some of those are pie-in-the-sky situations. What are they looking for? Are they willing to buy a utility and be happy with an appreciation of possibly 5 to 10% a year and collect dividends? Or are they looking for excitement? Well, if they're looking for excitement, that would indicate that they are looking to be a speculator as opposed to an investor. Now, we tend to see younger clients wanting to take more risk and older clients wanting to take less risk. And it just makes sense. You need to take into consideration the age of their client, where they are in their investment cycle for their life. As people approach retirement, they should be getting more and more conservative with their portfolio because if they lose it, they don't have the time to make it over again. All right, if your client lost all of his money and if he died, what about the family situation? Does he have life insurance? Is his family taken care of? you might want to consider whether the client has insurance to cover his family in the case of his or her death. What would happen if your client lost his job? Just things you need to think about and and talk to your client about this. Okay, what's your situation? What sort of assets do you have set aside for your family in case of a catastrophic personal financial disaster? And catastrophic personal financial disaster would probably include the loss of a job of your client or possibly his spouse. Do they have enough liquid assets set aside to take care of themselves in the case of a catastrophic economic situation that they might be personally involved in? Not necessarily a national catastrophe, but a personal catastrophe. All right, when we're talking about preservation of capital, if that's your client's objective, well, what can you invest in? Think about that. Preservation of capital 
does not mean equities. Equities are mm, somewhat speculative. At least you have probably market risk with the stock market with equities. Preservation of capital implies fixed income investments such as CDs, corporate bonds, municipal bonds, and direct treasuries or agencies, government agencies. So if your customer comes to you and says, I have an objective of preservation of capital, you better not be recommending equities to that client. What if your customer comes to you and says, I need current income? Well, again, that would imply fixed income investments and possibly income type dividend stocks. What about capital growth and appreciation? Well, that would imply a equity portfolio primarily because current income or preservation of capital is not considered in capital growth and capital appreciation, but ask him how much he's willing to risk to do that. If he's willing to take a great deal of risk, then that might not be capital growth and capital appreciation. That might be speculation. Capital growth and capital appreciation works well in a rising market. It doesn't work so well in a declining market. And finally, you might have customers that come to you and say, hey, I want to shelter as much of my income from taxes as possible, and in which case you should be introducing them to individual retirement accounts, having them participate in their employer's 401k plan if they have that option available. And if not, if they're self-employed, you might talk to them about setting up one of the tax-qualified pension vehicles, such as a defined benefit plan or a defined contribution plan. One thing you are always going to be looking at is never put all your eggs in one basket. Make sure that the client is diversified. Probably the one exception to this might be if it's short-term treasury bills, since treasury bills are, by their very nature, considered risk-free if you're putting some of your client's money into short-term treasury bills. And by short-term, I mean less than six months. You don't need to get a diversified portfolio of treasury bills, even though you may choose to. Uh, by definition, and I don't necessarily agree with this, but by common definition, treasuries, direct treasuries are considered risk-free. But if you're buying fixed income investments that are not direct treasuries, you want to make sure you have some sort of a diversified portfolio because you cannot predict the future. You don't know if that AAA rating, which used to be General Electric, is no longer a AAA rating and might be almost junk rated at some point in time. So make sure you have some diversification in your portfolio, and that applies to equities and fixed income. Let's talk about liquidity for a minute. It's widely expected that when you buy a stock, you're going to be able to sell that stock. Sometimes the market freezes up. And what you think is going to be a liquid market may not be a liquid market. I've seen times when you've seen stocks drop 10, 15, 20% before you can get out of a stock. So when you think of liquidity, often equities are considered liquid, but in stressful situations, they may not be liquid. Likewise, with fixed income investments, if you buy municipal bonds or corporate bonds, you will have to go to your fixed income desk to get a bid on those fixed income securities. And my experience, and we'll talk about this later on, is you get less than you expect because usually your firm has to take those fixed income securities into its inventory and wait for a buyer to buy those out of inventory at some point in time in the future. So fixed income investments usually are not as liquid as you would think that they would be. 
and they can be quite illiquid at times. The one area that you can have liquidity in is usually direct treasuries. There seems to always be a bid and ask for direct treasuries, and if you want to have the most liquidity, then you buy short-term treasury bills or short short. All right, that's the end of the lesson for today. Again, the full lesson and the full series of audio lessons is available at the website series7podcast.com. This podcast on the Series 7 Top-Off Study Guide, audio lessons for the new Series 7 exam, is brought to you by insuranceexampodcast.com. In addition to passing the Series 7 exam and the SIE exam, most likely you are going to be required to pass additional examinations in order to present your client with the investment choices most suitable for him. These additional examinations will include the Series 63 exam and the Life Health Insurance exam. The insurance examination is an examination administered by the state in which you plan on selling insurance products. Insurance products can include variable annuities, fixed annuities, whole life insurance, and other insurance products. While each state has a slightly different insurance exam, there is uniformity to these exams, and the Life Health Insurance exam can be studied in your spare time by listening to audio lessons. At insuranceexampodcast.com, they have a series of audio lessons, which is 12 hours in length, and consists of 26 audio lessons and 5 review lessons. Go to insuranceexampodcast.com and sign up to get five free lessons to start preparing for your insurance exam. Best of luck in your studies. And remember, this podcast is sponsored by...